Welcome to All Sides with Ann Fisher. Central Ohio's population is expected to explode in coming years, especially with the intel investment in Licking County. More jobs, more people, but where will they sleep? The Building Industry Association of Central Ohio reported the most housing starts last year since 2005, but housing construction is still falling short, especially when it comes to affordable housing. We're talking about the Central Ohio real estate market this hour. Todd Helbringer is president of Helbringer Mortgage Service Company. Welcome back. Great. Thank you, Ann. Pleasure and to be here. Robert Vogt is the uh, principal and partner with the real estate market research firm Vote Strategic Insights. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Ann. Uh, all right. So let's just kind of start with the Licking County thing because um, from there's going to be sort of a cascading effect mm -hmm. from that, right? Or, or the Rob? elephant in the room, as they yeah. say. <laughs> right. Let's just get this one out of <laughs> the way. That's right. That's right. Um, no surprise that Licking County led Central Ohio in home price hikes last year, right? Oh, I think there's been a lot of speculation going on out there. <clears throat> and uh, obviously, uh, um, folks are taking an interest on what's happening out there. I think there's both speculators and developers, as well as, as home buyers, right? Realizing that that is going to be a very hot market over the next probably the next two decades, I, I see that happening. Um, we're seeing a lot of interest from developers talking about uh, apartment development uh, in Licking County. Newark, um, Granville right now are red hot uh, in terms of opportunities. Uh, so we're going to see a lot of activity in those areas for a very long time. And plus, you think about the, uh, the farmers that have all that land. What an opportunity for those farmers to sell off that land to those developers at a perfect opportune time. You know, and I find it interesting that with the announcement by the New Albany Company acquiring additional acreage up uh, near Johnstown mm -hmm. last week, that is that is just going to spread the entire development process right. up to Mount Vernon yep. uh, and going for even further north um, into Morrow County. It, it will be a real fascinating uh, ride, I think, yeah. to see what happens. Agreed. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. That is Rob Vogt, uh, principal of real estate market research firm Vote Strategic Insights, and also with us, Todd Helpbringer, president of Helpbringer Mortgage Service Company. We're talking about the real estate market in central Ohio. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at wosu.org. You know, um, the interest rates are going to tick up again um, and higher than than expected because they're saying the inflation is not settling down at the pace that they want to see. Um, so, our w w Todd Helpbringer, I mean, what's the strategy now? Do people that are looking just hunker down for a year or what? No, I don't think that's necessary. I think there are plenty of other opportunities out there. So, we've been so conditioned to do a 30-year fixed because 30-year money for the longest period of time was... 3%, 25 Right. Now, again, that has gone from 3 to 7 back to 6 and now we're teetering back on 7 So I think there's other opportunities in the adjustable market. You know, there's a 5-1 arm out there that people might consider. That might be maybe a full percent under the 30-year fixed. Or there's another product out there. It's a 10-year balloon. That, again, it'd be a fixed rate for 10 years, still 30-year amortization, but giving people a little bit lower interest rates so there's not that big sticker shock of a 3% to seven. So there's opportunity out there. And those loans, I feel the rates will come down once we get inflation or is it supply chain or whatever it is that's holding these things up so mm -hmm. high. Rates will come back down. And I think that's a primary opportunity for them to get into a 30-year fixed. What, what's right? that gap, Todd, between a 10-year a balloon and a fixed, fixed or a 30-year so fixed rate? It's usually between a half and three quarters of a percent. Okay. So that, that's a difference of, depending upon the size of the mortgage, it could be 150 to $250 a month. <clears throat> for their payment. 
So again, I think there's, I don't think you need to slow up and not buy just because rates are at seven. Look for other op- opportunities out there other than the traditional 30-year loan. But you know, I think, I think the challenge today is that within, what is surprising is we've had actually increasing prices in spite of the higher interest rates. Correct. So in, even though you might be able to work out a mortgage arrangement, you still can't buy all the house that you want to buy because we've had such an, uh, an appreciation in home prices. And part of the problem here in central Ohio, and, and frankly is in a lot of areas across the country, is the fact that we are underbuilding, much as the BIA report it had indicated. So we still have this shortage of housing. So mm-hmm. that's driving up the prices. And um, I would think in today's marketplace, a lot of the uh, younger buyers uh, in particular are competing against us baby boomers that have an awful lot of cash in our yeah. house right mm-hmm. now and, and sell the house. And who needs a mortgage? Yeah. I don't need a no, mortgage. Agree. I, I do see that. I think hopefully with more product, hopefully we have a nice spring and more product comes on the market, more existing stock comes on the market because mm-hmm. that is still the problem right now. So I don't feel like the immediate competition is the new build site because that might be a trajectory of six to nine months before that comes on. I think that and you said your earlier comment, the weird thing is that prices still increase and rates are increasing. They usually work opposite. Right. And so now we've got them both going the wrong direction for the home buyer. That's why, back to my earlier comment, that you don't have to not buy the house, but if you can get a half a percent or a full percent lower, write it out for five years or 10 years and then look for an opportunity to refinance because, because all loans won't have prepayment penalties. Right, and the, the one thing that will change is the interest rate going forward, but the pricing on the housing in central Ohio likely won't go down. That's just going to keep going up. Yeah, you just hope it's not at this pace because this pace yeah. will price everyone out eventually. And it's just that's the problem. I think back to your comment, Rob, that I think the baby boomers, the one thing that these younger kids have if their parents aren't buying is their parents gifting. Right. I've seen an enormous amount of parents gifting money to the children mm-hmm. so that they can afford the house because what they're also competing against is the upside of the list price is X, 200000 Usually bidding, if it's a hot product right now, is bidding is starting at two twenty-five, or is it bidding starting at two fifty? So right there, you're already $50,000 over the list price. We've talked about this in other episodes. You know, that what about then the appraisal gap? Because if it doesn't yeah. hit the value, they still have to cover the difference between the list price and appraisal. Are, are you continuing to see some of that gap exists, the, the difference between appraisals and, and the um, Is it the pretty contract? typical now? It is pretty typical now. There was a short period of time where we had, you know, it's maybe a month ago, it felt like that we were people were getting homes slightly under list. Now, you don't know if that was just, you know, the market, some of the realtors were pushing them up and really trying the high side of things yeah. and things came back down. But we did see a little bit of that. But the last couple of weeks, we've been on this trajectory of, again, list price plus. Well, because we're layering on now the spring rush. Yes. Right. Right. So um, that's pretty typical. Um, do, uh, we, we talk about that housing stock, the increase. I think it's at 19,000 units um, mm-hmm. right now. And it's still not enough. And it's especially not enough when it comes to affordable housing. Well, that's right, Anne. Uh, the ni- the nineteen thousand is actually actually our firm was the one that actually did the report for the yep. BIA. So, the nineteen thousand is the number that we have projected that we need, need. Okay. in Central Ohio. Right now, we're producing about twelve thousand okay. units, so that gap is about seven thousand units. With most of that being in the area of affordable housing. And is that the gap? The the is the um, need 
a fu- how are you what's what are the factors that go into that what, the what we what we were looking at is the relationship between job formation and building permits and what our historical data in central ohio has shown us is that there was it was almost in lockstep with job creation and the need for a new and the need for a, uh, a housing unit and what we saw was that about uh, you know right after the great recession we started to fall behind in meeting that uh, requirement and so we now have this accumulative deficit of housing that exists in central Ohio because we're just simply not producing the kind of housing that we need. And that became a particular issue because of the nature of the recession and what set it, what, what threw cold water on the economy at yeah, the time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's so you, wrapped right, up in housing. Right. If you go back even to the mid 2000s, we had really overbuilt yeah. uh, in, in the United States that basically because of some of Todd's lending practices yeah. that were giving houses <laughs> away to unqualified buyers. <laughs> Call me again. Call me again. Yeah, the big meltdown was right. a function right. of the uh, demand. That's the, right. So we, we had money. the surplus of housing and we never came back to. to, to once we absorbed all the surplus, we never really built more than we we uh, we really needed. So that's why these deficits have built over the past several years. The other problem has been that it's very difficult to to build in many communities, and that's that's another topic right. that we probably yeah. need to talk Absolutely about. Absolutely need to talk about the density. That. You can't get the density anymore because what are you going to knock a whole? Street down right. and then rezone it. Well, I mean, that's... they also have parking requirements sure. and things like that that are unrealistic in a high density housing development. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and you know, there's always an expectation in in some communities that that we only want four thousand square foot single family houses, and and we know that that's not where the demand is for the kind of housing that Central Ohio needs. Right. Um, if you're not meeting housing the demands for housing now what is the alchemy to change that trajectory in the future right and and along with that is the very serious problem that we have that has been recognized by business leaders is that if we don't have the housing choices we're not going to attract folks like honda and intel into into our area so you know it's it's a it's a real major problem that if we continue to not meet the needs of of um, Central Ohio home buyers, we're going to find ourselves kind of behind the behind the eight ball. And it's not just home buyers, but renters too are paying the price. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen some real significant increases in rents that we've heard about. Um, it it along with just building housing in in some of the suburban areas. You know, it's difficult to build apartments in suburban areas that generally it's not wanted, and especially affordable housing. Right. Um, you know, you've had guests on previously talking about uh, the various programs that are used to develop affordable housing, and and a lot of that, um, suburban communities aren't aren't allowing it. Now, then the other problem that we've got is that many of our our uh, employment centers that are developing in Central Ohio, like Intel, like the distribution and warehousing facilities in London and and um, um, out towards Hebron. We don't have affordable housing in those locations. So now we're talking about what do we do about public transportation to get workers in those areas. So Mm -hmm. it's just one problem after another when we don't start to meet the housing needs in central Ohio. Mm. Uh, Let's see. Stephanie in Clintonville, you're on the air. Hi, Stephanie. Hey. Sorry to hear you're leaving. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) So are we. Um, (laughs) So I live in the Northmore neighborhood. I've been here for Almost 20 years, I know of four houses that have been vacant for the entire time that I've lived here. And I know of three other houses that are vacant now because people have passed away recently. 
and the, the long-term houses that have been vacant are really falling into disrepair. And you can call 311, but nothing happens. Is there anything we can do to help the city push these vacant houses into, like, where people can live in them? You know, yeah. you know, I think the problem with houses like that is they get caught up in the legal um, That's process that you're trying to dispose. How do you go through and dispose of a house? And, I, you know, whoever is going to own the house may not want to do anything. They may not be able to get it. <clears throat> I think continuing to keep pressure on the 311 uh, yeah. app or calling the 311 number to, to make sure that you are at the top of their list in terms of wanting something done. Any code violation, you know, as these say code violations with, yeah, begin to accumulate, mm-hmm. uh, it may put enough pressure on the current owners to try to do something with that. It's surprising it to be vacant that long. Yeah. yeah. That in just, this it market, feels like, like you said earlier, there's got to be something legal. Such yeah. a waste. Yeah. Just, what about the corporate overlords that are buying up our inner cities? <laughs> well, you know, that that is a trend that we're seeing right now, Ann, yeah. um, that there are un, there's a lot of money out there right now buying up single-family houses to rent. And, and because it is such a challenge for younger families to buy a new house or even existing house, there's a lot of corporations out there buying up housing to, to just simply to rent. Uh, I think we're going to see a trend of more for-rent single-family subdivisions. Uh, in order to get housing built in some suburban communities that don't want apartments, they start to build single-family for-rent subdivision. The mm-hmm. entire subdivision right. is, is for-rent. And I think that's going to be a very popular option here in central Ohio over the past, in the upcoming probably five to ten years. People not worried about investing their own money, just having a decent place to live. Well, when you th- consider the down payment requirements, the increase in yeah. interest rates, the rising costs. Yeah, but also I was going to say, you know, so I think some people still don't understand you can get into a, a new, a first-time home buyer can get in with 3% down. And that can be all gift. So I think there's maybe some more education because some people still believe you have to have 20% to put down on a home purchase. Shouldn't which, you have 20% though? No, Okay. No. You can, I mean... <laughs> You can get in with 3%. You're going to pay mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. But again, as home values increase, you can always look, A, to, to refinance and drop the mortgage insurance. But I think, I think to your point, I think some people are, I use this word maybe loosely, aren't capable of owner, home ownership. They just don't want that responsibility. Yeah. So I, I do agree that I think there's a, there's a need for these corporations to go in and buy them or you know, LLCs to go in there and buy them, fix them up, and have people become renters. Because some people just aren't don't want that responsibility. Well, mm-hmm. and, and I get it. what the counter to that, Todd, is is the pride of ownership in a in a, a neighborhood. I mean, I think that is one of the problems, especially in lower income, uh, more disadvantaged Agreed. neighborhoods. That if you have absentee landlords, they tend not to 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 keep the properties up as nice as they can. On the other hand, you know, many of these uh, equity firms that are either building new for rent subdivisions or buying up large chunks of houses are going to keep them in pretty good shape. Um, I don't so, know how they don't. I mean, right. you have an on-site property management company because, right. again, anyone that's owned a home realizes every year there's just something. Yeah. And imagine having the moves in, the move out. I mean, there's just there's always something. So I, I know I know with us and our my commercial side of the company, we almost require people to have property management. We have to have some type of stability. Like, how okay. are you going to manage this property? We we want to ask. Well, you ask the question. I always ask the question yeah. because I always tell people. It's not, when it's not, you You don't want those calls at midnight on a Friday <laughs> or a Sunday. So get a management company to help you out with these things. So it's important. It yeah. really is. We are talking about real estate in central Ohio. It's still booming. Um, 
if you own something, you're in good situation. But if you own something and you want to sell it and you want to buy something, you're stuck in the mess with the rest of us. My guests are Rob Vogt. He's principal with the real estate market research firm Vote Strategic Insights. And Todd Helpbringer, president of Helpbringer Mortgage Service Company. If you have a question or comment about how to buy, how to sell right now, Give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at WOSU.org. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Dan Fisher. According to a 2021 study commissioned by the National Association of Realtors, Ohio's three largest metro areas are among the top 10 largest cities in the nation with the most underbuilt housing. We're talking about the latest trends in the central Ohio housing market. Still with us, Todd Helpringer, president of Helpringer Mortgage Service Company, and Rob Vogt, principal with the real estate market research firm Vote Strategic Insights. Affordable housing is always an issue. It's always going to be. And we were just talking off air. And mm-hmm. you kind of said, I, how do we, how's it going to change? Yeah, we've talked about it for 10 years. Yeah. I don't, and again, I know, Rob, you might have more input on this, but I think unless we do something on a state level and increase taxes for that purpose, I don't see how it's ever going to happen for the standpoint that you're not going to get a builder or whoever to say, okay, I'll donate all my subs, 30% discount, anything to make it affordable. You're going to have these issues. Um, no matter what. So I don't know. And then you throw in that the cost of everything has increased. Interest rates are higher. So the affordability factor keeps getting smaller and smaller mm-hmm. and smaller mm-hmm. because you don't have those issues you can tackle. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about Todd. I, I do have to, I think, uh, acknowledge that the state is uh, recognizes this as a really important issue. And uh, I know the governor during his state of the uh, state address made that a priority uh, of his administration, and I, I do hopefully that they'll be able to pass the state tax credit that can be used in conjunction with the low-income housing tax credit that um, uh, makes more affordable housing available to us. But, you know, the challenge has been, as you pointed out, that that costs are going up, land is going up, uh, labor costs go up. I mean, all of that. They're is, already behind the behind the eight ball on demand. Right. I mean, right. All the demand is is, demand is just off the hook uh, right now. And I was just looking at the number of, of folks who are rent overburdened, meaning or severely rent overburdened, where they pay more than fifty percent of their income to rent, which is a chunk of change. Yeah. Uh, that has been going up over the past uh, five or six years. So. Um, even though you may see some additional affordable housing being built in central Ohio, it is it's, it really is not meeting the demand right now. You know, that $400 million in tax credits that the governor put in his budget request, um, over it's over, it's, you know, for affordable housing in the state. How do those tax credits work? Is that something that goes to the developers? 
It, it, it is a little bit complicated, uh, and uh, basically they sell the credits to investors who use those credits against their income level and then contribute that money to the developer basically is the way it works. Uh, they buy those credits at discounted rates, um, and, and then that finances the project for the developer. The developer under the program could technically use those, but their income would never be high enough to offset the credits that would be available. So that's why the investors um, uh, will will buy those credits. Ohio Capital Corporation for Housing here in Central Ohio, or, or in Ohio, is, is one of the big syndicators that buy, uh, puts together projects like that where they finance uh, through investors. And then doing the tax credit, you know, do do the abatement on the taxes for the, the projects too, and so. Yeah. Well, that's one of the programs yeah. that that the city has uh, is is offering tax abatement to developers who who uh, initiate a portion of their units to to serve low and moderate income households, and right. and they're expanding the program, which I congratulate. That the challenge is that some of the suburban communities aren't making those same kinds of right. arrangements, so we're not seeing the affordable housing being developed in some of the suburban locations. It seems like that was very successful because I know they did a lot of that uh, tax abatement. They still have the tax abatement on the condos coming into downtown. It seems like it's made it more vibrant. I just think that has to happen because then you got the point where is, is it still necessary for the building in the downtown area? I don't, cause well, some people get frustrated. They say they, they get the tax credits for the high-end uh, projects, projects that most people can't afford. So how does that – it right. makes it more affordable right. for wealthy people. That, yeah. that is the irony of it all, isn't it? Uh, and I think, again, I think the city, to their credit, is understanding that we don't need the kind of, of uh, uh, property tax abatements that we have granted in the past. I think for those kinds of for projects. Those, for those yeah. kinds of projects, right. I think they recognize that, that they've kind of uh, planted the seed to revitalize these areas, and they don't need that kind, those kinds of programs. So now they've changed the programs where they do now require more affordable units to be located in, in, in those new projects uh, throughout the yeah, area. They're past the point of saturation. They've got the, the structure there. They've got now the basis now move on to other communities. But, and, yeah, and, and that's really the challenge right now. And I think the mayor alluded to that in some comments uh, about that exact program, that the city of Columbus is is providing these incentives to develop or make affordable housing available in some of the new builds, but some of our suburban locations are not. Now, if you look at some of the uh, vacancy rates or occupancy rates in suburban locations of apartments, we're at 97, 98% wherever you go. And, and so there's really not a lot of incentive right now to, to provide affordable housing in, in some of those areas because, you know, frankly, the cities will say, hey, we're doing great. So how, how much has rent gone up in the last three years? Because that's what's amazing. I, mean, I see it on our commercial side. You know, we talk about all the time, how much further can they go up and is it right? sustainable? Yeah. yeah. And it's not stopping. A one bedroom, a decent one bedroom, one bath. It's like 1500 1700 yeah. yeah, yeah, depending on where it's located, yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes there's an expectation that, that I have to live in the very best one-bedroom, one-bath apartment in the city, and I, you know, I'm entitled to live at that unit. Uh, yeah, that's a thing. Right. I, there are still places that you Luxury. can get a five or $600 a month one-bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. It may not be in the neighborhood you want to be in or it may not be close to where you live or, or close to where your relatives are. Um but but I think sometimes those things grab the headlines, Todd, that say oh, our rents have gone up 35 percent in the past four years. My gosh, what are we going to do? And, you know, if you dive into the numbers, there are still 
affordable units. I'm not saying that no, we, no. we we don't need affordable right, units, no. but yeah, but yeah. there are some opportunities yeah. out there for lower prices. Let's see, Sarah in Whitehall, you're on the air. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Um, my question is, why aren't there more mobile home parks? These are there are some really beautiful mobile homes, and they they take less space. You know, there you can put a lot more in than you can develop. You know, for single family homes. And I know several friends that they've taken that option. They're single and they make an income of thirty six thousand dollars a year. They can't afford a single family home, but they were able to afford a a, a mobile home in a park and pay that park rent. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't understand why there aren't more de- more of those de- being developed. Let's see. And um, what do we know, Rob? Both? Yeah, do you know much? I mean, go ahead. All well, you know, I, I, I was going to say I, I was actually going to bring up that point that uh, alternative construction methods, um, modular housing, mm-hmm. mobile homes, um, these types of things could be used to address that. I think the problem is that most suburban communities don't allow right. mobile home parks. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what ha- you know, you need to kind of put these in places where you don't have the zoning in place that that. Uh, um, would control that sort of thing. I think it's a an admirable idea to consider that as an alternative. Um, and I, but the problem is acceptance within within different areas in Central Ohio. They, and they, getting those communities to accept yeah, that yeah. because it's not a bad thing, but it has that feeling. It's got stigma. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but you know, well made. If you obviously Agreed. in Florida, you know, go down there and see some of those beautifully maintained Absolutely. mobile home parks. It, mm-hmm. And then that gets back to your point about management. How mm-hmm. important that is when you have, if you don't owner occupy it, how do you control the quality of the either the house or the mobile mm-hmm. home park or the apartment building if 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 you don't have direct control over that? Yeah. How do mortgage lenders though review a, a mobile home park? Strictly a commercial loan, so it'd be strictly a commercial loan, and basically, one. yeah, okay. all, all they all we basically would be financing is the pads, okay, and the ground. Of course, the you know the person that's going to live there is going to buy their own mobile home, set it on the and, pad. And what about financing those purchases? Yeah, I mean, um, we don't have any vehicles to do that, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure there, there's vehicles out there to finance them too. Um, but we've we've seen them where they again we'll go out there and mortgage the whole property and the pads and then the you know the utilities and all that stuff. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I think it goes back to zoning and the stigmatism of that. Yeah. But I, I do agree with you. My, my grandparents lived in a mobile home park and it was fantastic. Beautiful, well kept. Yep, 100%. Virginia and Columbus, you're on the air. Hi, Virginia. Hi, good morning. I'm really thrilled that you're discussing this topic. Um, I'm aware of a concept uh, through an organization that I volunteer for, Results, it's called. It's a nonprofit anti-poverty organization, and at the federal level, we are exploring uh, the tax code as a way to have more equity for people. You know, the child tax credit was very successful in reducing child poverty, and there is something we have conceived of. uh, It's not legislation yet. It's called a renter's tax credit, and it would be through the tax code that low-income, rent-burdened people would get a a monthly payment to help them make the rent uh, only to 30% of their income. So they would have income left over for other necessities. And uh, that would then, uh, it's not the full answer because obviously you need more housing, but renters are a very, very underserved and neglected group of people. And 
there are very few affordable units available. Like I think maybe a quarter of the people who need them get them. Or and and this is for people who yeah. are not served by other housing and homelessness problems. I think that's an interesting so, question. Similar to Section Eight, same well, concept. Kind of, well. except yeah. it would go follow the the, the renter, right. not, not the, the uh, property unit. Itself. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah, I mean, there are so few benefits to renters uh, when you consider the mortgage deduction that mm -hmm. we have on, on uh, mortgages. We don't really have a program like that for renters. I think any way that we can bring some financial benefit to renters uh, to address the cost of housing makes a lot of sense. I Obviously, the bottom line is what is it going to cost the taxpayer to provide those kinds of <clears throat> credits? Um, well, but, is, there, is there a benefit to society to tax you know to the tax base to you know help people live decently well you know and and related to todd you brought up the this the section 8 uh, uh housing choice voucher program mm -hmm. uh, that is a very expensive program to maintain and and to fund um you know when you look at some of the reimbursements that hud has to provide to landlords that's a big chunk of money mm -hmm. And if there were some more creative ways to incentivize renters to, um, you know, rent rent an apartment but also receive a financial benefit, uh, other than the, the housing choice voucher program, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I I have not examined the cost of something like that or how we would fund it, but conceptually, I think it makes it, it has a lot of merit. I'm wondering what you guys think about um, this talk about of. of passenger rail expansion between the three C's. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be, of course, hubs in the big cities, uh, but they're also talking about stations down the lines between Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and then Cleveland uh, to the Columbus airport and up through the side, you know, diagonal through the state up and through to Chicago. There's yeah. a couple different things being yeah. looked at. I, I think, and it would be a fabulous benefit to Central Ohio. And when, when we're talking about real estate here, uh, when we talk about the number of jobs that are expected to be created, the number of folks who are supposed to come in here, if we had remote locations that had easy commutes via right. rail, mm -hmm. we could really provide a benefit to places like Mansfield mm -hmm. and Cambridge Lima and Zanesville. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a whole host of communities that have a lot of housing stock that's underutilized that if we had a way to link those cities together, it would address some of the housing absolutely. issues that we have. Yeah, less less cars and more rails. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. About. Agreed. Yeah. Um, let's see. Is there, a, there, there have been a lot of residential projects proposed for downtown. At what, you know, I know you think they're kind of saturated at this point, that the demand for those, that, that range um, is just yeah. petering out now. I, I, I would not use the term petering out okay. at this point. I think that we have ongoing demand. What, what ends up happening is we seem to have a, a, a surge in development uh, after developers see how successful the downtown housing market has been. So that's why we see this surge in product. <clears throat> All of it's coming at the very high end. I, I do have some concerns about the amount of high-end product that is being released to the market and is also still in the pipeline. Um, everything from Gravity 2 to uh, Astor Park, which is next to the new Crew Stadium, 
um, to the new the Kroger redevelopment, the Continental Center, which is 400 affordable apartments. Not saying that we don't need affordable apartments, but this just kind of contributes to to the number of units that are in the pipeline. And um, the North Market Tower is another example. Um, they have not announced what their rental rates are, but we know that they are going to be probably some of the most expensive rental housing that we have. So. Right now, we've got about a 9% vacancy rate downtown. I'd like to see it closer to 4 or 5%. Before they build Before more. they start to build more. So what's going to happen is I think we're going to end up seeing flat rent changes downtown. The rents will stay pretty flat or even decline in some well, cases. We'll see some rent specials. I think there will be some opportunities for renters downtown to, to secure some pretty good deals. Because if you're already at nine right now and you're putting more product on the market, that's going to go higher. Yeah. Because you don't have you it's, you don't have a pent up demand yeah, right yeah, now. Right. Yeah. It's right. going to have to. So that's the problem you're going to get into. And I right. think that that competition could bring the market lower. Then. That that's that's right, and it could have an effect throughout the entire rental right. spectrum. So almost like letting them oversaturate might be a benefit. Hmm. I mean, you hate to right. say that. It but may it not. Be, it may not be happy to the developer, right. but. <laughs> <laughs> But. Oh, you're listening to All Sides at the end, Fisher. We're talking about the real estate market in Central Ohio. It is crazy. Uh, if you have a question or comment, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at wosu.org. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Ann Fisher. We're looking at the real estate market in Central Ohio this hour with Todd Helpbringer, president of Helpbringer Mortgage Service Company, and also Rob Vogt. He is a principal with the real estate market firm, research firm, Vote Strategic Insights. Questions or comments, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at wosu.org. We weren't expecting the rates to go up. We knew the rates were going to go up. The interest rates were going to go up. We were, I say we as a country, were hoping they wouldn't go up as much as they did, but the uh, Fed said it, that we have to to cool down the economy. How do you, should the rest of us little people look at this and see, you know, when we can make a move? We should have slowed. We should have started this a long time ago. I think the need during the, the pandemic was needed for a period of time, but we just kept the accelerator on this cheap, cheap, cheap money. And now the, now the shock and awe is going from now we're 4% higher. It had been nice to get us off that sooner so we didn't have this drastic. Because that's what we've done. We, we did rock bottom, and now we're doing all the way to the ceiling. Yeah. So. I think it's going to take some time. And I've said before, I think as soon as we see inflation get remotely under control, the stock market will take off again and rates will come back down. 
Now, is that going to be another six months, another year? Everyone's teetering on, are we going to throw this thing into a recession? I, I don't know. I don't know if I see the recession anymore, but I just want to get inflation under control. So, quote, get back to normal business. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is tricky managing a 7% interest rate right now because we're not used to that. I've been doing this. It's a psychological, I mean, yeah. you feel like like part psychologist talking with people. <laughs> well, that's why I go back to my earlier comments that I, I really promote a different product than the 30-year fix and try to educate people that, you know, I remember just a quick story. I've been in this business since 89. And I remember we had a big refinance craze in the early 90s. And I'm like, when my father was still at the company, I remember telling him, Todd, it'll never get better than this. It's only been better about 25 times. Yeah, right, right, right. I love my father. I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> but it's, it's, so I think there's always going to be opportunities out there. So that's why my mind shift has gone more to let's look at the immediate need. Let's try to get into a better vehicle. Maybe it's only five or 10 years because the 30-year will come back. Mm -hmm. That I know. So. Let's see. Um, go to Martha and Gehanna. You're on the air. Hi, Martha. Hi. I hope you can hear me. I'm actually in my car. Yep, we can hear you. Okay. Well, I just wanted to weigh in on another form of housing. It's um, co-housing. I'm part of a group here in Columbus. There are about uh, six households that want to try to uh, find land and build a co-housing community. And maybe the people are a little bit familiar with that. Um, Rob Vogt? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the concept. In fact, I think Anne would make a great occupant of one of those co-housing <laughs> developments. Um, but but it is an interesting concept where you share responsibility, share the cost of maintenance. Uh, you know, somebody's skilled at carpentry and somebody else is skilled at drywall and Sometimes plumbing. they say that the, the, the group of homeowners will hire like a concierge type person to kind of manage that. Well, that's the more upscale version yeah. of, I think, what we're talking about. But it's a $1,700 rent yeah. concept. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's those kinds of creative solutions that we have to begin to look at. Historically, we haven't had that problem in Central Ohio. We haven't had the housing uh, shortage that we've got today. So we're sort of not used to those creative solutions that exist out there. And I think co-housing would be a great one. Uh, another example of co-housing is um, uh, the Gravity 2 project downtown that uh, Brett Kaufman is opening in, in Franklinton has the shared bedroom concept where the person rents a bedroom and then shares the living space with uh -huh. two or three other uh, other folks. So I, th you know, these kinds of creative solutions we have to start looking re realistically at and see if they're going to make sense. It's like an adult college. Yeah. I, right. You know what I did? The, <laughs> yeah. I lived in a room in a house yeah. for a couple of years when I, when I was making, you know, the grand total of like $16,000 a year and my, you know, flourishing, uh, uh, uh freelance writing really pick who you're going to do this with you know if you need you know what if you need to find a cheap place to live i mean yeah you want to pick the right people but yeah you know it's, i'm surprised it's not more popular but maybe it's just people being live being so much more remote from each other you know this was of course practically before well, there were you know, landlines yeah. back in the day. As I said, we, we really, we just haven't been faced with this situation for such a long time yeah. that I think if you ask a Gen Zer uh, if they'd want to live in that kind of environment, I, I doubt if they would acknowledge that uh, sort yeah, of thing. I, so. Yeah, it's like apparently not cool. Um, but Martha, thank you for that idea. We appreciate it. Uh, Chevy and Columbus, you're on the air. Hi, Chevy. Hi. Go ahead. Hi, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, my question is, where are the first 
single-family starter homes in Columbus or the metropolitan area. It seems like a lot of the housing these days are being built for people who have a lot more wealth than the first-time starter homes that everyone wants to buy that are in a younger generation, from my generation specifically. Um, why are developers tend to develop large housing that a starter family tend to not be able to afford um, when there is a market for that? You want to, We've I, I talked about it before, it's, but yeah, it's always worth strictly prof, reiterating. Prof, more profitable. Exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, I hate to say it, that's, that's right. the transaction. It's more profitable. The existing home, that's where you have to almost get into. Those could be good for the first-time home buyers. But to get a builder to build something he can't afford to build it to be um, affordable. I mean, if you're going to go through the headache of dealing with co communities to get it rezoned, to get the utilities in place, to, to um, make sure your construction costs are in line, so forth and so on, make $50,000 on a $600,000 house versus $12,000 on a $200,000 house. I mean, I, unfortunately, the, I think the, you're exactly right, Todd. The profit motive is there to, to build well, bigger, more expensive There used to be houses. starter home communities. We all remember yes. them. What what was in play? You know, what was the world like back then? Um, you know, yeah, I, mean, I remember about that back in the well, uh, the land was a lot cheaper. The 70s, I mean, the, 80s. The, the, yeah, the 80s, yeah. you know, we yeah. were carving up cornfields like yeah. it was like it was farmland. And, I remember and, I grew up in, in Westerville. And that's what we were doing there. Yeah, absolutely. it was so easy to go out and, and grab a piece of land and and throw down a, a plat and. You know, the labor was relatively inexpensive. We the, could just, the, it was just a lot easier to do it back then. Right now, it's the such a hassle. The materials were a lot cheaper. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So it, it's just, it's it's tough to be a developer and, and, and to build housing right now. It's a real challenge. But I think we've all become, and I hate to say this, we all come a little spoiled. We all come a little spoiled. We want the best of the best, and that's hard to get. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is what yeah, it is. Everything has to be a luxury this and a yes. luxury right. that. Chevy, Agreed. thanks for that call. Let's see. Keith and Columbus, you're on the air. Hi, Keith. Hi, Ed. Hi, everybody. I find it ironic that I jumped on right after Chevy, who was talking about the lack of, uh, uh, the lack of affordable housing, and I jumped into the market last year to start developing houses to make affordable houses. And here's the uh, and here's kind of like the spoiler end to the story is like right now I haven't been able to sell it. It's been on the market. I've had one that's been on the near east side of uh, Columbus, um, you know, kind of like in the hot zone, like near Children's Hospital uh -huh. for like the last. And it's been on and off. It had been on and off the market in the last uh, like two months. Um, had dropped the price specifically, you know, to make sure that it was still going to be there. And, and there was um, a lack of, there was just a lack of buyers. And I've been kind of like frustrated with this being like, hey, the first house I got into making sure that I could make a nice affordable home for somebody. And now it's like, it's still sitting in my pocket and like, I don't need it. Well, what so kind of I feedback are you getting yeah. on, and, on and the house? And what's the price point? Yeah. Okay, so I'll tell you directly. So the initial price point was three hundred thousand, right? And and it was a three bedroom, two uh, full baths, fully renovated. Um, you know, so and um, had gotten a few people who had looked at it, and then just then ultimately just not bought it. I think they were all waiting for a price drop, which eventually we did because we kept talking about the housing market being so tight and interest rates going up and such. Uh -huh. Dropped it down to two seventy five. 
still did not sell. It just dropped off the market again. And as I get inundated with calls from new um, realtors who are like, hey, did your property just go off the market? Let me go ahead and sell it for you. I'm hesitant to put it on the market again to go through the process. So that's kind of where I am. And I'm just like, I'm not sure, do I wait around for a while or do I just call it quits and and move on? (laughs) I mean, I would never call it quits. I guess, tell me one thing, what's the price point in the immediate area? Because that is surprising. Or is the immediate area a two seventy five, three hundred thousand, or no? Uh, three fifteen is the median in the area. Last year, had I gotten it done earlier, when everything was, uh, when I when the housing market was just going bat guano crazy, could have sold for like houses did on the street for around three sixty five or three seventy. Mm-hmm. When it finally got done, I just said put it at a nice even price point that you know that's going to be good for people either coming in at a higher end or people on the lower end kind of working to get mm-hmm. something affordable to be able to get it set. Again, you know, so set it right at 300, didn't sell, moved it down to 275, still didn't sell. Nice area. Hot, no, it is. It's a hot market. That, that this yeah. seems hard to understand. Um, Although you're you're indicating that you were hit by the kind of the interest rate hike that mm-hmm. we saw over the past six to 10 months. Yeah. So, yeah, possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would not give up, to be honest with you, because I still think that that price point is very popular. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't tell you what to do in regards to price. That would be between you and, and, a, and a realtor. But my gosh, it seems that the average is above 300 and you're at 275. Seems yeah. Like you should be there. Yeah, so. especially in that area. Yeah. It's, it's, I, every time I drive by Nationwide, I, I can't believe market. how. It's a hot market, absolutely. But Keith, good luck. Yeah, Keith. I mean, so there's people out there trying. They actually are conscious of the demand. But they're not yeah. building new houses for starters, right? No, and what is the uh, starter home point? Is that a two fifty? Trying to think. Yeah, of is that it, a, a, yeah, two fifty okay. probably. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, if you're okay. looking at areas outside of Columbus into Pickaway County, that's probably where you could get enter the market. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's mind-boggling. Is is you know I, I was thinking about that renter tax credit too is a way to encourage more people to get into, you know, their own home mm-hmm. uh, and buy a home because that enables you to to buy, to, to save so that you can buy. But I'm kind of wondering if there isn't a cultural shift uh, that, that may occur because of this, that somehow we, they make it um, more enticing to live in rental and to mm-hmm. rent and not... I guess kind of not having that American dream thing. Homeownership is not for everyone. It's it's not. And I think some people, like as I said earlier, just the opportunity that if we rent here, you talk to the landlord, you can still paint the walls the color you want. You know, I think some people like that they don't have to take care of the upkeep on a home. Yeah, and the market research that we're doing, Todd, it, you know, renters by choice is becoming a big component of, of the overall rental market. Yeah. The idea of... And, and it's interesting, and one of the things that I've we've kind of seen lately is some of the high-end apartments. This is not their primary apartment. They've got an apartment here in Columbus, and they've got a, an apartment in New York, and they've got an apartment in St. Petersburg, Florida. And, you know, it, it's surprising to me to see the number of second and third homes that these apartments represent, which represents a lot of the support for, especially on the high-end side. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. So. My point is that that uh, renters by choice are becoming an increasing larger component of the overall rental market. The other thing that I agree with Todd is not everybody's cut out for homeownership. I mean, 
We know how hard it is to deal with a plumbing issue or your HVAC well, every goes time up. you go to Lowe's, you walk away, you know. <laughs> <With> a $150 <laughs> bill. At least. At least, right, right. So, no, you're right. The air. It, not everybody's cut out for it. And, and you know, so for so many years, we promoted that idea. And, and you know, rightfully so, it does create equity and mm-hmm. pride of ownership are all factors to consider when, when owning a home. But not everyone is cut out to be a homeowner. Agreed. It makes the world go around because then you've got investors that invest in properties. So it's that whole cycle. Yeah. I agree. I was wondering if there are any communities when you talk with, you know, your your uh, you know, colleagues in the in the industry anywhere where the community is in is interested in investing and in, in more affordable housing and, and is changing its culture to embrace it instead of issue it with uh, zoning um, restrictions. And I think you're probably talking about smaller commu- suburban communities. You know, I think, you know, Whitehall is a good example that yep. have embraced the idea of a variety of housing choices. And, and I think they've done it quite successfully uh, with the recent new developments. So, uh, yeah. Grove Park, Grove City, that kind of. Yeah, yeah. Not so much. Well, yeah, I, you know, they, they have. Um, uh, Whitehall's probably been the best example, though, of, of, of that okay. occurring. Uh, but, you know, some of the northern suburban communities don't have to, you know, that they're so desirable that, that they don't need to get in, involved with that. But I think it's important for them to recognize how important it is to have a variety of housing in their community to serve to serve a variety of households, especially as we see more uh, more um, uh, employment centers mm-hmm. develop further and further out. Just going to take time. Yeah. It's going to take time because, again, you look at, you know, Delaware, Powell, that whole area. I mean, that's just exploding. And you know, like I said, they don't have to they don't have to do compete. Right. There is an overabundance. Right. Of yeah, people it's a built in there. market. Yeah. yeah. That is all the time we have. Thanks to Rob Vote of Vote Strategic Insights. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Ann. And Todd Helpringer, president of Helpringer Mortgage Service Company. Thank you. Thanks, Ann. Pleasure. And thanks to the all-site staff, uh, senior producer Marcus Charleston, assistant producer Aaron Esmont-Rabinowitz, interns Chantel Brown, Chris Corcoran, Ethan Miller, and Nicole Nowicki, with video production by The Ohio Channel, board operation by Chris Johnston. Alan DeCenzo is the composer of our theme music, WOSU News and Public Affairs Director Mike Thompson, Radio Operations Director Kevin Petrilla, and Senior Broadcast Technician Eric French. Thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great one. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News.